first of all, that you were willing to send your son to die in our place. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come to live the word made flesh, to live a sinless life and die in our place to pay the debt for our sin. We thank you for that today, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are, you are alive and you abide with us as the comforter, walking and talking with us every day, pointing us back to the Word of God, to the works of Jesus, to the redemption that we have today. And we're thankful today, Jesus, that because of what you've done, we're not who we used to be. But God, you are reforming and changing and just making us new creatures in you, Jesus. And today, we give you thanks and we give you praise for that. And everybody in the house said, amen, amen. God bless you, God bless you. You may be seated. It's great to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah is about eight books from the end of the Old Testament. If, you're, if you've got a hard copy of the Bible, it might be a little challenging to find. A digital, you'll be right there. But uh, it's good to see you this morning in this very quiet, empty, 11 o'clock service. I'm glad that you're here. If you're watching on live stream and you're wondering where everybody's at, or you're here in the room and you're wondering where everybody's at, I am too. Where's everybody at? Just kidding. No, today's kind of a, a, a little bit different day. This morning in our 9 o'clock service, we were packed. It was jam-packed in here because we have uh, almost 40 students, youth, college students, and adults who uh, were, with, were with us along with parents and family members this morning. They are leaving. They're eating lunch right now but about to head on the road. Uh, our youth movement students going for their annual Seat Week missions trip. And so uh, they were heading out after the first service today. And so there were a lot of people who normally come to second service who were in the first service. Now, some of y'all, y'all jumped between the two. So I don't know when you're going, where you're going to show up. You just happened to pick the, the, uh, the quieter of the two services this morning, I guess. But I'm glad that you're here. And uh, you got plenty of room to spread out. You know, there's plenty of room. And uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we've already had a good service this morning. And we're going to dive into God's Word. I want to remind you, what we said in the video announcements this morning, the next two Sundays, we're going to have one service at 10 o'clock. Okay? You see why now, right? One service at 10 o'clock the next two weeks. We've got a lot of folks, like I said, next week who will, who will still be out on a missions trip. It's that time of year where people are going on vacations. And we're just going to bring the whole family together over the next two Sundays, the first two Sundays in July. And so we'll have live stream at 10 o'clock for those of you who join us with that. And we'll be here in the room at 10 o'clock. So that means the 9 o'clock people get an extra hour of sleep. And you 11 o'clockers, that means you you got to have an extra cup of coffee to get here at 11 o'clock, whatever it takes you to be here. But, but we're going we're gonna to have a good time the next couple of weeks. So let's look at Jonah chapter 3. We've been in a series this month called Us Versus Them, A Journey with Jonah. And we've made it to Jonah chapter 3. And so let's see, when, when we left Jonah a few weeks ago, we left him in a bad place. Because the scripture says in Jonah chapter 2 verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish... And it vomited Jonah on the dry land. What a bad place to leave a guy, right? So we turn over to Jonah chapter 3 and we pick up this week. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, how many of them? All, all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, watch this, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that your word, even though it is centuries, thousands of centuries old, and a story that's so familiar, God, it speaks to us today at this moment, at this time in our culture, in our lives. And I pray that through your word and through the presence of the Holy Spirit that you would speak through me today and this word would find good soil and deep root today. I pray, Lord, that lives would be challenged, convicted, and changed by the power of the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you to compile a list of the most popular children's Bible stories from the Old Testament, what stories immediately begin to come to mind, okay? I'm sure, I'm sure several of you are beginning to think of some. And, and we're going to see how, how good you are at, at knowing these stories, and we're going to do a little fill in the blank this morning. So I'm going to share some of these stories, and, and I want you to finish the end of the description, okay? So let's start at the beginning, the story of Adam and... Okay, Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Okay, David and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Okay, Daniel in the lion's den, and Jonah and the. All right, you got it. Very good. You guys uh, get an A this morning. Those stories are popular for children because. Let's think about it. They present larger-than-life characters accomplishing unbelievable things in amazing and extraordinary circumstances. I mean, think about it. Crossing a sea on dry ground or defeating a nine-foot giant or surviving a fiery furnace or a lion's den or the belly of a well look great in full-color storybooks or in animated movies, right? I mean, Veggie Tales, all right? This is what we call the Veggie Tales factor. How many of you were raised on Veggie Tales or raised your kids or grandkids on Veggie Tales? Yeah, you, you kind of get what we're going at this morning. But each of these stories actually present circumstances that really aren't very child-friendly. When you take a deeper look, you'll find concepts and principles that challenge even the most mature of Christ followers. And this is definitely true of this story we've been unpacking the last few weeks, the story of Jonah in this series called Us Versus Them. Now, the story of Jonah feels like 
it fits neatly into this four-word descriptor. Jonah and the well, right? I mean, what more is there to say? And even if you do a Google search of children's books for Jonah and the well, it would look something like this. You've got life Bible heroes, Jonah, Jonah and the big fish, a big fish tale, the story of Jonah. And as I was looking at these, I thought, you know, this is really just a small part of what we've been talking about with the story of Jonah. I did find hope, though, in, in these two books that gave us a little bit more. Uh, the Well and Jonah, a story of obedience and forgiveness, okay? And then The Well and Jonah, listening to God. The thing I didn't understand was why is the well so happy? <laughs> you know, but... I, I don't know, I don't get it. I mean, he didn't get to keep his lunch with Jonah. I would not have been very happy if I didn't get to keep my lunch. But you get the idea. And here's the thing, Jonah really isn't about Jonah and the well. If you, if you think about the book of Jonah, it's really short. There's only four chapters. There's only 48 verses in the book of Jonah. And watch this. The word fish only appears four times in three of those 48 verses. Probably never thought about that before. So it stands to reason that God's point of giving us this story isn't for us to be amazed at a giant fish or an unfortunate prophet. The themes are so much bigger and really quite adult in nature because the themes of Jonah are themes like hypocrisy and apathy, disobedience, judgment, bitterness, and ultimately, forgiveness. But the book of Jonah displays to us God's ultimate purpose for his word. And here it is. The purpose of scripture is not to entertain us, but to reveal God's character to us. No matter what story you're reading, no matter if it's a great story like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, or if it's the letters of Paul, or if it's the book of Revelation at the end, all of those stories aren't meant for our entertainment. They're meant to reveal who God is. And the story of Jonah does just that in a powerful, compelling, and convicting way. So let's kind of catch up on where we've been in the book of Jonah. We're going to do a little bit of a review before we land exclusively in chapter 3 today. So we began this series a couple of weeks ago talking about this idea with our sermon series title of Us Versus Them. And we said that often when it comes to being followers of Christ, we feel like that the world around us are the them, that our opponents are the people who believe differently than us or who or who vote differently than us, or look at certain situations differently than us. And the world really likes, especially our American culture right now, likes to divide us. Anybody seen this to be true? They want us to take sides on whatever it might be. And what we learned in the first week is really what's behind what we would consider our them, our opponents. And it's this, our rivals are not physical, but spiritual. The person that... It's on television that's screaming and yelling against the point of view that you have or that person you work with that's difficult or that family, per that family member that makes your life miserable. That person's not your rival. There's a, what might be in the physical, there's something going on in the spiritual behind that. Paul said this in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not with each other, but it's against 
rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. There's something behind all of that that's driving people to act the way they do, right? Okay, you get that? And here's what we said. We said, okay, we've got to take our perspective off of not thinking it's us versus them, but we need to understand something about people who are far from God. And we just labeled them unbelievers. And watch this. We said this. What does the Bible say? What does God's Word say about unbelievers? It says they're blind, they're confused, and they're divisive. I'm not going to re-unpack all that. You can go back and listen to the message from June 5th on the podcast if you missed it. And here's what we learn that the Bible says to us that our response to be, should be to unbelievers, that we must know and live and declare God's truth and we must remember and offer and display God's love. And as I was reviewing that and getting ready to share a reminder of what we talked about a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court has a pretty big ruling that comes down on Friday. And I think most of us here know about the, the incredible news of Roe versus Wade being overturned. Something that I honestly never thought I would ever hear or see in my lifetime or any lifetime. I never, I know we've prayed about it, haven't we? But I think it was something that we didn't, we never thought we would see happen. And, and basically what happened is the Supreme Court said, that it is not constitutional, a woman does not have a constitutional right to abortion on demand. This isn't a federal thing. So they put it in the hands of each state to make those decisions. And so no matter what side of the argument you're on with this, we all need to understand that this doesn't mean that abortion is completely over and wiped out. It means that the states have the rights now to dictate that as we go. Now, I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor, so that's I'm not going to go much deeper on that. But here's what I want us to understand. I think that as the body of Christ and as the church, there are a few things we need to understand about this. And it, and it applies. We're not just pulling it out of the air. I really believe it applies to what we're talking about in this series. The first thing is this. We need to celebrate with thankfulness and humility. We can celebrate this, guys. We have been praying for this for a long time. But we need to celebrate with humility, which means we don't spike the football. You get that analogy, right? You, even if you're not a sports person, you know that when, when in, in the NFL or college ball, if a, if a guy, some guys make a touchdown and they take the ball and they walk over and they hand it to the referee and they go back and get ready for the next play. And then you got that other guy who gets it, he spikes it, he does this, he's like, you know, he does all these crazy things. And some of that is fun, but then some of it's like, just shut up and do your job, you know. You, you, you've not even caught a pass all season, you drop the other 12, you know. And, and I think there are some people, and, I, and I've heard that there's been some people in the Christian world who spiked the football the last couple of days. In your face, no. That's not what we're called to be. It's not who we're called to be. We need to celebrate and we need to be thankful to God, but we need to do it with humility. Here's the next thing we need to do in light of this decision. We need to support and pray for ministries, pregnancy care centers, adoption and foster care agencies. The good thing about it is you're in a church today that has been regularly doing that for years. When you tithe, your tithe money goes in part to our pregnancy care center here in Rinkin, where we support them every month. And we do a lot of things with them. 
But I believe that as this, this ruling has, has come, come down, the church realizes that we've, we've been involved, but we need to do more. Amen? And if we're going to be on the side of life, then we need to be on the side of supporting life once life comes as a result of these governmental decisions. Now, here's the last thing we've got to do. We've got to respond with grace and truth. We cannot have one without the other. The scripture tells us in John 1 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Then Paul would echo that in Ephesians chapter 4 when he would say that we should speak the truth in what, y'all? Love. And that's what we're called to be and who we're called to be in this culture. But the challenge for us so often, and I'm going to go on a rabbit trail and get back to Jonah in just a second, but I think it all fits under this umbrella is this. That so often in our culture right now, truth is a moving target. That's why it's so important that when we share grace and we share love with people who are far from God, we point them to truth. So let me give you an example. This, the movement that would be pro-choice has said for years, my body, my choice, right? A year ago, when we were going through COVID, that switched. And that same group of people said, uh-uh, it's not your body, your choice anymore. Everybody should have to go get a vaccine or wear a mask. and It's not your choice anymore. Now, all of a sudden, we have signs back out that says, my body, my choice. Why? Moving target. Of truth. Okay, let me give you one other example. Just a few weeks ago in Washington, in a, in a hearing, there was a woman who is a woman and is identifies as a woman. She's asked the question, can you define what a woman is? And she can't give a definition. But that same side of belief now suddenly says it's a woman's right to choose. You can't have it both ways. And y'all listen in, lean in. This is why when we remove absolute truth from our culture, this is what we get. We cannot afford to remove a place like God's Word. And God's Word is the ultimate authority on all things and through which we should see all things. And when we do, the target keeps moving. We don't know what is real. This is real. This is the truth. And everything comes back to it. And the Word says we are to respond with grace and truth. Let me remind you what I said a couple of weeks ago about that. Truth without grace is mean. You've been around people like that. They're just mean and nasty. Because they want to get the truth. There's no love. But then grace without truth is meaningless. If all we do is just give people grace, grace, love, love, love. But we don't give them any truth. What have we given them? But Man, guys, this is where it's all about. This is what Jesus did. Truth plus grace is good medicine. Truth and grace together brings healing. It brings relief. It takes away the headache of this world. That's pretty good. I just thought about that. So, that's what we said in week one. Let me catch you up real quick on week two. So, week two, we looked at Jonah chapter one, and we titled it like this. We said, what are lessons that we learn from Jonah's journey? And real quick, let me remind you of these lessons, okay? You can run from God, but you can't hide from God. Anybody say amen to that? Sleeping on God only delays the inevitable. Knowledge about God and obedience to God are not the same. I love this one. Be careful who you allow on your boat. Got to be careful who you allow in your life. 
the further you run from God, the worse things get. Anybody ever seen that happen in your life? Disobedience, we talked about, comes with a price for us and them. And then mercy is extended to us and them. So I, I was trying to figure out as we're going to unpack Jonah 3 today. I'm like, how can I... How can we frame this in a way? And I was like, Les, you already got it. Don't reinvent the wheel. So this week, we're going to chapter 3. And we're going to talk about life lessons from Jonah's journey we find in chapter 3. The good news is, today there's only four, not seven. Okay, so here we go. I want us to read together all of, of Jonah chapter 3. I want you to hear the whole story here. Lean in. Listen closely so you understand what's happening. It's only ten verses. So let's see what happened. Okay, so again, we've got Jonah... He's vomited up on dry land. End of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, here's what happens. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. We'll talk about what that is in a second. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste Anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So four lessons we learn from Jonah chapter 3 from Jonah's journey. Number one, second chances are available to everyone. Let me try that again because that's good news, y'all. Second chances are available to everyone. Everybody say praise the Lord. Man, that's real good. Watch this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And here's what happened. After Jonah was spit up, God said even though he smells like whale vomit, even though he was disobedient, even though he went in the, the opposite direction that I told him to go, he is still my man for my job for this time and I will not remove the call on his life, but I will say, Jonah, get up and get back after it. How many of you are glad that God gives you a second chance? How many of you ever had a third chance or a fourth chance or a tenth chance or a twentieth chance? We serve a God of multiple chances. Amen? And that's what we learn right out of the gate here is that second chances are available to everyone. The scripture says all have sinned and whosoever will can believe. Jesus came not for just the Jews but for all of us and we all are included in that everyone. This is what the scripture says to us in Lamentations. We, I, I, was, I was thinking about this. We read Lamentations a few years ago. In our Fierce 40 Bible reading, which will be coming back in August, 
And I remember somebody saying, man, Pastor, that Lamentations was hard to get through because it's kind of sad. But there's one verse in there that's the, one of the best verses in Scripture. And it speaks to this God of second chances. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions, what somebody, never fail. How many of us fail? All the time, right? And twice on Sunday, right? But look at this. His compassions are new every morning. 365 days you have compassion available for you. And the writer said, great is your faithfulness. What does the New Testament say? Peter said this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. Watch this, y'all. But wants everyone to repent. And that includes everyone that you think is on the other side of the issue. The person in, that, in your family that drives you nuts. The person on your job that drives you crazy. Whatever the situation might be, God wants everyone to repent. And His grace is available to everybody. Amen? So listen up. If you're here today and you think you've gone too far and and, and done too much, and you're disqualified from the grace and the mercy of another chance with Jesus. Don't believe that garbage. You have a boatload of mercies that are new for you every morning. And I, I'm going to tell you what, I need mercy, new mercies for every day. Anybody else? We sang it a moment ago. Look at this. <clears throat> I thought I deserved to be six feet beneath the earth. Anybody know that if the Lord had not intervened in your situation, you'd be dead right now. Yeah. For all the things I've done, the things I've said, the choices made that I regret, oh, I would still be lost. But for the mercy of God. Amen. The God of second chances. Second chances are available to everyone. Here's the second thing I want you to see in Jonah chapter 3, the life lesson, is partial obedience is disobedience. Okay, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let's watch what happens to Jonah. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Nineveh began, uh, Jonah began by going a day's journey in the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah changes. He turns directions. Remember, in chapter 1, he was on a boat headed toward Tarshish, which was... Him getting as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could go. If Nineveh's in Springfield, he was going to Savannah. If God had called him to the, to the city of Clio, he was going to Brunswick. He was going to get as far, well, say Miami, as far away as he possibly could go from the call of God that he has turned around. He has decided that he would be obedient. He goes into the city. He gets, it takes three days to get through it, and he gets a day into it and listen to his sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. After everything Jonah has experienced, he preaches an eight-word sermon. How would you feel if you came in here and I preached an eight-word sermon every Sunday? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Most of y'all have been here long enough to know we're going to I'm going to talk for about 45 minutes. And you keep coming. And here's why. Because when we're following Christ, we need more than eight words. We want to go a little deeper. We want to be challenged. We want to be pushed. 
We want to be encouraged, and hopefully that's what we're doing here every week. But y'all, eight words? Let's notice what's missing from Jonah's sermon. Now, to understand this, we've got to go back to what God told Jonah in Jonah chapter 1. He said, I want you to preach against the city because its wickedness had come up before me. So if Jonah was commissioned to preach against the city, don't you think he should probably tell them what that wickedness was? But watch. Watch what's missing from Jonah's message. Look at this. He doesn't tell them what they're doing wrong. I mean, God commissioned him to go because they were wicked people. Then, look at this. He doesn't tell them why it's wrong. And the the worst part of it, he never mentions the name of Yahweh or God. He never talks about the God that's calling them to change and repent. There's something really weird about this because Jonah is considered to be a prophet. And most prophets don't have any problem going on and on. Anybody ever read the book of Isaiah? On and on. Nehemiah. Oh, Jeremiah, oh, any other Mayas, on and on. I mean, these are long books. And that's why you got Jonah, four chapters, 48 verses. There's Psalms longer than that. But for some reason, Jonah just preaches the bare minimum. Maybe he still doesn't want them to get the full message. Maybe he just really wants to give them the bare minimum. Just say, God, I I did what you said. I showed up. I walked a day into the city. And I preached what what you told me to say. But here's what I want us to understand. Yeah, the scripture said he obeyed the Lord. But did he really obey the Lord? Partial obedience is disobedience. We learned that in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We talked about that a couple weeks ago that... Where, where Saul, that whole thing with Saul and Samuel, and, and Samuel looks at Saul and says, hmm, obedience is better than sacrifice. God ultimately wants us to obey him. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. The sign that you love me will be that you will obey what I've called you to do. Later on in the book of Luke, he says, even more blessed are all who hear the word, And put it into practice. So there's people, Jesus, by that, we're jumping in on a story. But Jesus is saying there's people who are blessed. But people are even more blessed when they hear it and they do it. Partial obedience is disobedience. And our obedience isn't just about us. Often our obedience is about somebody else too. Because other people are watching our lives Christian folks, in 2022, you better believe somebody's watching how you live. And our obedience to God is a megaphone to the world who's dying and needs the message that we have. So second chances are available to everyone. Partial obedience is disobedience. Here's the third one. Genuine repentance comes with a cost. So let's watch what happened, okay? Now, eight-word sermon, but watch what happens in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. That is, is, is almost as impossible as Jonah surviving in the well for three days and three nights because they didn't even hear the name of God that was proclaimed inside of Jonah's sermon. 
A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh. So in the city streets, this guy comes through who smells like, a, like he's been hanging out with fish all the time. And he begins to preach an eight-word sermon. And somehow God uses this message to awaken something in people despite what, what Jonah did not say. And then the message gets to the king. And the king responds by taking his robe off, covering himself with sackcloth, sitting down in the dust and saying, hey, somebody get me a piece of paper. We're going to issue a decree. There's an email blast that's going out all over the land. And this is what it says. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks take anything Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. Notice what happens. We said genuine repentance comes with a cost. What did it cost them? Number one, they fasted. They, they put aside food and drink. It must have been in January, right? When we think about our 21 days of fasting and prayer. They fasted. They put on sackcloth. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, sackcloth was a type of cloth made of blacks, black goat hair. It was thick. It was rough. It was a very coarse material. And it would be kind of like, for us, a burlap. You know, uh, burlap back in the day was used in farming now. Women, they eat up some burlap. I mean, y'all women, you love some burlap around your house and decorate with burlap. But imagine if tomorrow morning you had to put burlap on and you had to wear it all day. Even burlap underwear. Let's just go there this morning to really get it in our head. You had to wear burlap all day tomorrow and it's going to be a, you know 95 degrees tomorrow. Miserable. But to symbolize as an outward sign of mourning and submission and repentance, they took off their normal clothes. They put on this sackcloth-like burlap. They put ashes over their head. And they, then it said they called on God. They began to cry out to God and look at this part. What else did they do? They gave up their violent ways and their evil ways. They turned from the direction that they were going. Uh, Tressa has corrected me on this many times because sometimes I'll say something about, you know, th this person or was going in one direction and then they did a 360. She's like, it's not a 360, okay? Because if I do a 360, then I wind up what? Right back where I am. But it's a what? It's a 180. See, y'all are smart. Y'all don't just know Bible stories. You know numbers, whatever that is. So they did, watch this, they do a 180. The scripture says they called on God, and they didn't, they didn't just call and say, Lord, we're sorry. We'll try better tomorrow. It said they gave up their evil ways. A nation was turned upside down, not really because of an, an eight-word sermon. It was because of God. I believe that somehow God called, called something on the inside of them that he had put there to come on, like a, like a, like a, a, a beacon, a um, a homing device for God just kind of started lighting up with all the people and the king and said there's something greater and something more and they changed 
their direction that they were going, but it cost them something. It cost them fasting. It cost them the things that they had been doing. And the same is true for us. When we repent genuinely, we don't. And a lot of times what we do is we do the 360, we come down, we repent, we pray, we ask God to forgive us, and we're supposed to turn and go in this direction, but instead we do what? We just turn and do a 360 and stay right in that junk that we've been in, right? But we're called to do the 180 and turn and go in an opposite direction. The prophet Joel, another small, uh, short message prophet in Scripture said this, don't tear your clothing in grief. He's saying, really, it's not about your clothes. So don't even go buy the sackcloth, guys. But tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God for, look at this, He's what? Merciful and compassionate. We've been singing about it all morning, talking about it all morning. Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not perish. This sounds like He's, 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 he's taking a, a page out of Jonah's playbook because it said that God relented and did not bring the the calamity on the Ninevites that he was going to bring. God is eager to relent. He's eager to forgive. But genuine repentance comes with a cost. And when we make that change, God is calling us, and he may be calling you right now, to let down and lay aside a habit or an addiction or a relationship or a situation or poor choices that you're making. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a price. So honor God with your body. So when God calls us to repent and to turn, then all we have, we are a living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable, we're called to offer ourselves to God. And when we genuinely repent, it will cost us something. It may cost us a relationship or an addiction or a habit or, or even a job if we've got to change things the way we're going. But genuine repentance comes with a cost. But here's the good news, the last point of the day. Genuine repentance activates God's mercy. So whenever God sees us repent, watch what happens. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways and went in a different direction, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The word relent there in the Hebrew means to be sorry, to be moved to pity or to have compassion. So God had all of his wrath ready to pour out on them if they did not turn but he saw them turn he saw their prayers he saw how even the animals fasted and he did not bring the destruction on them he had intended he relented he had compassion on them because genuine repentance activates God's mercy toward us when we genuinely repent God brings his mercy Proverbs 28 3 13 says this whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces, they find mercy. Look at what Second Chronicles said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then based on what they did, this is what God says. He said, I will hear, I will forgive, I will 
heal. That's powerful that God moves in our direction when we move toward him in humility and in forgiveness and in repentance rather. And then this word from the New Testament, as you guys give me some background music, John said this, if we confess our sins, he's what, y'all? Faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Look at the, 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 the ball that starts rolling right here, y'all. And, and I messed up this verse because for some reason when I, when I made this on the screen, I didn't delete part of the other verse. So just kind of come in the middle of the screen with me, all right? That's, that's my, my mistake for the week. I'm, I'm done. If we confess our sins, if we move toward Him, watch what He does. He's faithful. He's just. And He'll forgive us and then purify us from all unrighteousness. Y'all, that's such good news. That leans into the first point today about the second chances and the third and the tenth chances. Y'all, listen, the enemy wants to tell you that whatever you've done or wherever you've been or however bad you've been, that there's something that you've done that stands outside of the forgiveness of God. That is a lie. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and we sang about it this morning his mercy and his grace extends to whosoever will and it covers all of our sin all we have to do is take that step toward him and and turn in an opposite direction because genuine repentance activates God's mercy toward us amen let me tell you a story and then we're going to finish up with prayer together Jen Wilkin is a Christian writer and author, and she told this story called Mercy and Minivans. She said, my husband Jeff is an excellent driver. He's never had an accident except two incidents in high school where, which should barely be mentioned. But several years ago, I was driving across town to get to a speaking engagement during Friday rush hour traffic. Having waited three cycles to make a left turn at a busy intersection, I accelerated through a yellow light and continued on my way. Anybody ever done that? A couple of weeks later, a ticket came in the mail with photo evidence of my depravity. I had run the red light. Justice dictated that it would take $200 to clear my good name. Or so I thought. Let's just say we didn't have an extra $200 lying around and my embarrassment over the whole thing caused me to stall on paying the ticket. Well, Jeff noticed that the deadline to pay was upon me and he gave me a gentle reminder. I was leaving town and he generously agreed to get online and handle the payment. That's when he discovered that it was not in fact my good name that was at stake, but his because the car I was driving was registered to him and my ticket had been put on his driving record. His excellent driving record. His response is taken care of. Mercy. He paid my ticket without grumbling and my guilt was assigned to his record. In the eyes of the great state of Texas, the demands of justice had been met. 
albeit by another. I did not receive what I deserved, but Jeff did in my place. Are you getting this? That's what Jesus did for every one of us. Because how many of you run through some yellow lights and some red lights? Oh, this is so applicable. Where Jesus and the Word and God and the Holy Spirit says, Stop! But you went, went right on through it. Anybody? Thank you, Chester. Only honest one here. So Y'all might be giving me a light nod here and there. We've all driven right through those things. But Jesus comes along. And through the cross, He gets in our place and He pays our debt. A debt that we cannot pay on our own. And He says to us that when we come and we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. And as we take, it's kind of like this, we take one step, He takes two. While we were yet sinners, He died for us kind of backing up to what we said a while ago the purpose of scripture is not to entertain us but to reveal God's character to us and God's character toward us he is a God of love a God of grace a God of limitless mercy that's new every morning are you thankful for the love and the grace and the mercy of God today church Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. The worship team is going to come. And uh, I'm going to ask you all to come forward this morning. I'm just going to ask us all to come together and join in a closing prayer this morning, if you will. Just come up as close as you can, and we're going to finish out together. And I want us to, to share a song together this morning. But as you come today... I. I want to challenge you this morning. I want everybody just to bow your heads this morning. This would have been one of those messages where it would have been real easy to say something like, you know, if uh, if there's any sin in your life, if you're running from God, if there's something in your life where the altars are open, you can come. Often that's very intimidating to do. So the truth is, um, we're all here. And we're all sinners saved by grace we all have that sin nature that always is pulling us back right and we need that reminder today that we don't need to let sin get we don't need to get used to sin in our life we need to know that we have an advocate with the father the scripture says who's Jesus that no matter where we've gone or what we've done His forgiveness is always available to us. So as we bow our heads this morning, I want to invite you right now just to take a minute where you're at. And whatever the Holy Spirit has been saying to you through this message today, whatever He's been stirring in your heart, maybe there's an unconfessed sin. Maybe you're in a place like Jonah and you're running from God and you just just happen to show up here today. Maybe you're a follower of Christ, but you know the Lord's been calling you to something more and you're running from that. I'm going to ask you to take a moment this morning and just to ask for forgiveness today. We read it a moment ago. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. If there's anything today between you and Jesus, I want to ask you today to take a moment in this quiet
moment before we sing a closing song together to just confess your sin before Him and receive the forgiveness and love and grace of Jesus today. Lord, we're so